The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. In all of this, you'll see the details of your own story. The story of a life well-crafted. Welcome to the House of Roll. The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour, our first show of 2019. There are a whole lot of people out there in politics and in the media, you just heard about them on the previous show, whose purpose is to inflame your passions rather than to reason with you. My purpose is different. I've come to inform you, to give you information that will enable you to make an independent judgment on current events and to encourage you to act on your judgment. Nothing in our political system is inevitable. Nothing in our political system can't be transformed by a motivated and cohesive population. So I'm hoping that after we talk about, as you know, I'm a businesswoman, not a politician, and those numbers matter a lot to me. So after we've talked about today's numbers, I'm hoping that you are going to be as frustrated and angry as I am and that you're going to pick up the phone, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or, like me, an independent, and you're going to scream bloody hell at both district offices here in California and congressional and Senate offices in Washington, D.C. This ha- is, it's time for, all, for, for sensible people to act sensibly. So in the numbers this week, wow, what a jobs number. We added 312,000 jobs to the economy in December 2018, and that is adjusted for seasonal hiring. So those are real jobs. 712 points, I know, my stomach went all the way down and all the way up with them, but 712 points, that was the range of gyration in the stock market that ended on an up note on Friday. 1919. You know, that's the year that women got the vote. And today is the 16th day of the Trump-Pelosi-Schumer-McConnell shutdown. And one of the issues in that shutdown is 60,000 migrants flowed across the southern border of the United States in December 
2018 alone. So let's start the year on a note of optimism. Let's talk for just a minute about 312,000 jobs. That was about 45% more than the estimate, okay? And added just in December. So happy days are here again, sort of, kind of. Two years ago, 5.5% unemployment was considered full employment. Today, the unemployment number has risen from 3.6% to 3.9% because more people are entering the labor market. Labor participation is now up to 63%, which is almost back to normal. It's almost back to pre-2008 levels. And all of that is not just good news. It's great news. It's sensational news. I will tell you that I don't think our politicians had a whole bunch to do with it. Maybe on the regulatory front, but certainly not in terms of lasting legislation. But if we look inside the numbers, there's an even stronger indicator that if we the people, if you and I have faith in this economy, there is nothing inevitable about any sort of steep recession in our foreseeable future. I mean, just look at the real numbers. We added 32,000 manufacturing jobs. Now, those are not jobs at a big GM or Ford plant. Those are small and medium business jobs that are durable, and they're made durable by your purchasing decisions, by the fact that you look for that Made in America label. So you get to applaud yourselves. There are 38,000 new construction jobs. That means we're going to maybe make a small dent in the affordable housing crisis. There are 41,000 restaurant and hospitality jobs created. And that means that you and I are stepping out to the movies, to the theater, to um, going out for dinner or drinks. Um, and... And that means that we're optimistic about the economy, about the American economy in 2019. There were 43,000 professional and services jobs created. And there were 50,000 new health care jobs. Now, those are not all doctors and nurses. A lot of them are, you know, home health aides, uh, et cetera, because we do have an aging population. The only place we saw a downturn was in the information technology area, which added only 1,000 jobs. Now, I think that's probably a fluke, but I also think there is a lot of offshoring. I know I was setting up a new computer this week. It's really, really hard to get help. Um, I finally gave up. Uh, on Microsoft, et cetera, and went to the geeks at Best Buy, and they fixed it. But but we had a lo steep learning curve. And wages, wages are up. Wages last year grew by 3%. They grew ahead of inflation. That means American workers are actually seeing uh, some improvement 
in their ability to plan for their future and to save. And you know what else that means? It means that employers, employers are having to compete for workers back to that 3.6-3.9% unemployment rate. Now, some of the wage increase was forced, forced by state measures and local measures that impacted um, minimum wages and increased minimum wages in um, California to 14 or $15 an hour, depending on where you are. So, no, Amazon didn't raise wages last fall out of altruism. They raised wages because we are... Um, we, we raised wages, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I got distracted. Um, Amazon raised wages for two reasons. They, they raised wages because they had to compete for better workers and better workers come to better paying employers. And also they wanted to get ahead of the forced increases that were coming in California and Washington and a couple of other states where they have major facilities. So it wasn't altruism, but it worked. 3% rise in wages is really good news in this economy. So why is the stock market going completely nuts? One, my advice is don't look at your 401k on a daily basis. Just take a big breath. You know, a correction's not a bad thing um, in the long run if you've got some time to wait. Keys to watch are federal moves on interest rates. If they hold steady, it's better for the U.S. taxpayer because we have to pay interest on the debt and business investment. Uh, and, and if you hear a noise behind me, somebody just started a vacuum cleaner. Okay, that's better. Um, so the keys you need to watch are interest rates. The Fed has said they're going to take a wait-and-see approach. And again, if rates stay steady for the U.S. taxpayer, that's a good deal because we pay less interest on the debt. And it's also good for business investment, which means more jobs, better jobs. And you know what else? Mortgages cost less. But understand that the U.S. economy does not stand alone, that the oceans don't protect us. China is slowing down. Its expansion was too rapid. Uh, and our tariff war, our little trade war, is taking an impact on their economy. And that will kind of act as a little bit of a break uh, globally, as will Europe slowing down and the uncertainties about Brexit. They will all influence the U.S. economy, but we're the biggest economy in the world. And so barring any unforeseen cataclysmic event, we're going to still see growth next year. Not as much as we did this year. In 2017, we thought, saw 3% growth. 2018 brought us 2% growth. And the anticipation is for only 1% growth next year. And that's before the impact of a prolonged U.S. government shutdown. Shut so my advice is observe it, watch it, don't look at your 401k every day, and don't panic. 
The American economy is still the biggest in the world, and we are demonstrated our resilience. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk a little bit about what the new Congress means for all of us. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. Well, Nancy Pelosi is back, and our own Kevin McCarthy handed her the gavel. So let's take, let's take the first important piece of news. The United States House of Representatives is run by Californians. And you know what? In real life, they are two Californians who actually know each other and can work together. I think that's a very positive sign for all of us. Nancy's also the first woman who has ever wielded the Speaker of the House gavel. And she's the one of only two speakers who has reprised that record in the last hundred years. In other words, has been Speaker more than once in the last hundred years. What, what, what makes this serendipitous, perhaps, or, you know, just an interesting fluke in history is that she returns in the year that marks the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment that gave women the vote. And you know what else is interesting and maybe a little bit scary? There are now 100 women in the House of Representatives. 87 of them are Democrats and 13 are Republicans. If you're a Republican, getting qualified women to to run uh, it should be a key uh, goal for the 2020 uh, election. So women are now 23 percent of the House of Representatives. And that means there's still room to grow because women are better at reaching consensus. Um, We don't have as much fight and flight in us as we do um, a desire to find a peaceful solution to problems. Um, But women need to stop. By the time you're 25% or 23%, who's, you know, we rounded a little bit, um, of the House of Representatives, we need to stop talking about how we're held back by men. Um that we're still somehow less than equal, that we're not, that we're entitled to some special level of praise or permission to act out. And we've seen some acting out among those women in Congress. Let's look at the facts. 51% of the undergraduate students in American colleges are women. Four of the five CEOs of the United States' largest defense contractors are women. A woman leads the largest automaker in the United States and probably in the world, and that's General Motors. And none of these women reached those pinnacles by considering men to be their enemies. The American male, however, in the screeching that goes on um, around him, is intimidated. So let's be careful, women. Let's not rub it in their nose, their noses in it. Let's be careful that we don't make the American male chronically resentful. Let's learn from our own experience 
and reach out by gender, by whatever, bipartisanly to try to govern. Let's set a better example. And that doesn't mean that I don't believe hashtag me too is real. But we need to distinguish what is historic boorishness from real sexual harassment. You know, I'm a woman. I'm a girl who enjoys being a girl. In my experience, however, men can say things that you would consider insulting or inappropriate or cringeworthy is the word I like to use. But you don't have to assume that men have that intent. So before you rush to HR or threaten people with lawsuits, ladies, if we all want to get along and we want to be 50% or 51% of the Congress of the House of Representatives in the United States, let's all kind of remember that hashtag me too depends on the circumstances and not the words. And yes, it's possible. It's even probable that there will be a woman on the Democratic presidential ticket in 2020. I simply ask you, ladies, not Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris. Do not start from a loser's position. And it's not just because of their resumes. You'll remember last week we talked about the importance of actual experience in governing, how we've had two presidents in a row who got on-the-job training, um, and one of them passed a lot of executive orders, and the second one has been very busy for the last two years undoing those executive orders. The only way we get permanent, positive, forward-moving change in this country is through the legislative process, making laws that the president will sign, and coming together over policy differences. So it's not, you know, experience matters. But the problem with Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris is the approach back to my be careful, we don't chronically, we don't make men chronically resentful, okay? The problem is that those ladies have a tendency uh, to remind most of us of the personality of the third grade teacher every one of us hated. And that's, and and I would believe, I mean, looking at the awkwardness, uh, the cringeworthy awkwardness of that YouTube um, live uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren chat, that that was the first bottle of beer she's ever had. It was about as authentic as her Cherokee heritage. And no, no, her dog is not going to vote for her. Might vote for her husband, seemed to really like her husband, but that dog is definitely not going to vote for Elizabeth. So what makes a woman effective in business and in government is their ability to compromise, to come together to get something accomplished, to look forward, and most importantly, not to carry a grudge. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk more about the importance of compromise, because today is day 16 of the government shutdown. Back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back. 
And we're going to spend a few minutes talking of the numbers on day 16 of the government shutdown. And there's no end in sight. There's no movement uh, among the principles. So there's no ending on the horizon, uh, according to the president this morning. So I'm thankful, as I'm sure you are, to all the volunteers and visitors to our national parks who have picked up their own trash and other people's trash and are trying in their own small way to protect our national resources. But And I was, I was hoping to make a weekend trek to Joshua Tree in the next few weeks, but it doesn't look very likely at this moment. As the days march on and more and more people are being impacted by the shutdown, not just tourists. More and more people are affected every day. 800,000 federal employees, whether they're furloughed or working, will not get a paycheck on Friday, January 11th. TSA agents are among those who must work without a paycheck. Jobs that pay less than $20 an hour and involve taking a fair amount of abuse from the traveling public. And you know how they're reacting? They're starting to call in sick. Remember when you needed two hours to get through security at the airport in the early days of the TSA? Well, you're going to get to revisit those days if the shutdown doesn't end and those trained, experienced, and sometimes efficient TSA agents who help you get through the security line more expeditiously Well, those people are going to start to quit and take jobs that offer them an immediate paycheck, and you'll be back to waiting in line at the airport. Border Patrol agents, who are considered underpaid for the responsibility they have on a good day, those border agents, those guys on the front lines, are being asked to manage a humanitarian crisis to put their bodies in front of that crisis to take the abuse on the southern border to get hit with rocks. They're supposed to do it with empathy under the immediate glare of the media that's looking to point out what bad people they are. They're working in hostile conditions. And all the while, they are worrying about how to keep a roof over their heads of their own families and food on the table because they're not getting paid. Well, it's going to start to expand from there. Any of you who work in grocery stores are soon going to be impacted because 38 million Americans who get SNAP and WIC and other food assistance every month will be out of luck on February 1st if this shutdown continues. We spend about $4.7 billion a month on food subsidies for for 38 million people. And you know how much the Department of Agriculture has on pay, on hand to pay in February those benefits? Well, only $3 billion. So they got to choose either to give everybody 64% of their normal allocation of food stamps or start to pick out who will not get coverage, who will not get help from the U.S. Gov- government to keep food on their table when they qualify for those programs. And you know what? That will have an impact on every Safeway or Raley's or 
is it tiddly winks in tennessee i don't remember um but in any case every grocery store in america will have be impacted by that starting february 1st there are 1.9 million native americans who live on reservations throughout the nation and they are already beginning to lose health care education infrastructure and law enforcement services uh, because their tribal rainy day funds are being quickly depleted they're getting no money from the government during this shutdown navajos who live in arizona and new mexico are unable to get out of the red rock country to buy groceries and medicine and and actually go to their private sector jobs because the snow has covered the roads and the roads are impassable and the government employees, usually Navajos themselves, who keep those roads maintained are furloughed. They can't go out and clear the roads. So people are stuck um, in the high desert, unable to get out to the main highways. So they can't get food, they can't go to work, etc. And those government employees, those Navajos and Apaches and Cherokees, are not receiving their paychecks, and the loan sharks are starting to come around offering unreasonable predatory loans to keep wood in their stoves and propane in their lights. About 90,000 Native Americans receive food assistance from the USDA, and as of February 1, they'll be out of luck. That's food delivered on the reservations. The Native Americans gave up rights to millions of acres of the American West, remember all those national parks, and the Midwest in the late 19th century. So they have nothing to give. They have no bargaining position in this crazy 16-day shutdown. Representative Mark Wayne Mullen, who is a Republican from Oklahoma, introduced a bill last month that would have maintained funding for at least Indian health services during the shutdown. His proposal didn't even get a vote. He's a, he's a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. He got his health care as a child from the Indian Health Service. I'm wondering, do you think maybe Elizabeth Warren could help out? Oh, I remember. The Cherokees say she's a faux Cherokee. Remember that powwow chow with canned lobster? Mm, yum, yum. You're talking about Pocahontas? Yes, of course. Who turns out to be, what is it, one 1,032nd American Indian. Um, I think my son's DNA came back with more. Um, but nonetheless, thousands of Americans, while... while Elizabeth Warren is out stumping her for her presidential run in Iowa. The IRS is furloughed. So, ladies and gentlemen, you are impacted by this shutdown if you're expecting a tax refund in Q1. 140 million people file their income taxes in the first quarter of the year and expect a speedy refund. Well... (laughs) <laughs> I have news for you. Number one, nothing's going to happen until this shutdown's over and these people come back from their furlough. 
And then they're going to have to catch up on however much work was accumulating on their desks when they were gone. And so if you thought that because you don't work directly for the government, you would not be impacted by this shutdown, I have news for you. If you're expecting a tax refund, if you have a trip planned or a purchase in mind um, that's going to require your tax refund to be in your hand before you do it, (laughs) you better replan because you will not, under current circumstances, see your refund in the in the first quarter of 2019 you'll be lucky to see it in the second quarter of 2019 that will however not change the due date of april 15th this is not a two-way street and you know who else is suffering ordinary people who live and work in washington dc and in the beltway you know the cab drivers, the restaurant workers, and the other end at the lo- others at the low end of the capital pay scale are suffering probably the most because they're not going to get back pay because government workers are not out lunching or five o'clock martiniing, and tourism is down. Think of all those eighth grade field trips to the nation's capital that are being canceled week by week because the Smithsonian is closed, the Capitol Visitor Center is closed, the White House tours have been canceled, etc. I can only imagine how hysterical my own granddaughter would have been would have have been if her trip last year had been canceled because of a stupid government shutdown. And these kids these these 12 and 13 year olds will remember this when they're 18 and they can vote. You know, it, it will be seared in their little memories. So who is getting paid? <laughs> in fact, who's due for a $10,000 a year raise this weekend? Senate Majority Leader McConnell, but not his wife, the Secretary of Transport. Ah, she she's. Yeah, she's not getting paid, but she would have been paid her $10,000 a year raise. You know, I could go on with this. Oh, and the good news is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez can at last afford a D.C. apartment because she's getting paid. And I could go on, but you get the picture. Congress, time for you guys to do some work. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk a little bit more about the circus in Washington and the underlying humanitarian crisis. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. Well, we're back. And I guess, since I haven't heard from any of you, that um, we're still in the holidays, whatever, um, that you don't have any better idea about how to reopen the government than our friends in Washington. I, I Actually, I don't see a problem um, with funding the six departments um, that are not Department of, of Homeland Security um, at the figure that the Republicans in the last Congress had approved uh, 
and then extending DHS for another month or so so that we can figure out a solution to what seems to be a ridiculous circular um, and and um, irrational crisis. And you know what? It, it reminds me of it reminds me of a circus. They're just running around in in three separate little rings, just like a three ring circus. Which brings me to think, or made me think again, of um, Ben Sasse's um, commentary during the Kavanaugh hearings about Schoolhouse Rock. And so I just thought we'd take a moment and have a moment of levity while you're thinking about, would it make sense to go ahead and fund at the higher appropriation level the six departments that um, at, at a higher Republican appropriation level, those six departments that have nothing to do with Homeland Security. While you're thinking about that, 888-367-5329, let's just take two minutes to remember how it is supposed to work. Talking about the government and how it's arranged, divided in three like a circus, ring one, executive. Right up and visit ring number one The show's just begun, meet the president I am here to see that the laws get done The ringmaster of the government On with the show! Hurry, hurry, hurry to ring number two See what they do in the Congress Passing laws and juggling bills Oh, it's quite a thrill in the Congress Focus your attention on ring number three The judiciary's in the spotlight The courts take the laws and they tame the crimes Balancing the wrongs with your rights No one part can be more powerful than any other is Each controls the other, you see And that's what we call checks and says, well, everybody's act is part of the show, and no one's job is more important. The audience is kind of like the country, you know, keeping an eye on their performance. Ring one, executive, two is legislative, that's Congress. Ring three, judiciary, see, it's kind of like my circus, my circus. But until I get it, I'll do my thing with government. It's got feelings. Wow, that really, really brings me back. Yeah, it does bring you back, but it's also extraordinarily apropos because what we have is a three ring circus. We have a president who has a vanity project. He made a campaign promise. And, you know, campaign promises are, are, are most presidents 
uh, uh, can explain their their change in position by saying a campaign promise. You don't know what you know when you're president. Okay, Um, and when you're president, the job your job is to execute the laws passed by Congress. And this Congress has failed, um, as did the last, to pass um, much in the way of legislation. The last Congress was the first time in 20 years, and we should give Trump uh, credit where credit is due, that he wouldn't sign another omnibus uh, continuing resolution. Um, We actually passed appropriation bills. Now, those appropriation bills, those Republican numbers, because they're not all social welfare programs, are higher than they would be if the Democrats were writing those bills. So why, in God's good name, won't the Republicans take yes for an answer? They are an independent, co-equal branch of government. So I'm sorry, Mitch, you do not need the president's permission to bring a bill to the floor. In fact, the opposite is quite true. Congress is a co-equal branch. Pass the appropriations bills and then let the the president veto them if he chooses to. And then you let your caucus do the right thing for their fellow citizens and override that veto. And Kevin McCarthy, the same goes for you. You let your caucus members vote their conscience and the Freedom Caucus be damned. And you know what? While I'm on a tear, Mitt Romney, I loved your, your high-minded Washington Post opinion piece before you said, I swear to uphold the Constitution. You know, this is a moment for you to stand. You said you'd stand when you disagreed. Okay, this is a moment for you to stand with the Navajo and the Pueblo and the other Indian tribes who you represent. Big Bear is a wonderful facility, but but keeping those people fed, housed and meeting their the treaty obligations of the United States is the primary purpose of your representation of the state of Utah. And, you know, it's enough of this vanity project. You know, Lindsey Graham is working on something. And Lindsey and Mitch and Mitt and Mike Lee, who also represents those various Indian tribes in Utah, and the two lady senators from Arizona, Simica and McSally, who represent the majority of the Navajo Nation, and all the other rational members from both parties in both houses need to get the appropriations bills passed. And if you have to override a veto, you override a veto. And you know why it is especially important to do this? Because you know what? There is a crisis on the border. The border commissioner, Kevin McAllenie, Allenen, I'm not quite sure how you how he pronounces that. The last three months of 2018, we saw 60,000 migrants crossing the border each month. 30,000 family units, 5,000 unaccompanied minors. That means 22 to 25,000 children coming into Border Patrol custody monthly, coming to a system that was built for single adult males, not a system built for families and children. And the Border Patrol is doing everything they can do 
But you know what? Due to court rulings, they can't hold these people for more than 20 days if they come with children. And, and the coyotes, the people who help the migrants get here, know this. And so we're all responsible for the deaths of two children in the desert because their parents brought them so that they could get across the border. So they, the parents, could get across the border um, for whatever reason. So, you know, we should take some time, some time to talk soberly and quietly about why. Why is this happening and what can we do? Okay. And there are places, there are places in which a border wall would help. But the fact of the matter is, and let me give you a couple of numbers as we go away, because these are numbers I want you to think about. 60,000 migrants a month. Multiply that by 12. That is 720,000 people plus others in the womb crossing the border illegally or um, with claims of asylum um, every year. And that's only four, and that's only 53% of the annual illegal immigration in this country. And last but not least, remember that on the southern border, we are releasing 1,500 people a day with only minimal health checks, people who are feverish, people who have colds, flu, etc., and that those children will be in the schools in California and Texas next week. And we'll be back in just a moment with a couple of closing thoughts. Now, back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And in the last few minutes that we have, um, rather than belaboring um, the immigration numbers, which we can do on another day, let's talk a little bit about the biggest impact we're discovering um, that's coming from California's disastrous wildfires. You know, um, PG&E may go, may, is considering the potential of a bankruptcy filing because they are partly to blame, but not totally. Um, And that would be a major impact to all of us um, if that utility were broken up between two different um, utility companies or went bankrupt. Uh, That would have fee increase or rate increase implications for all of us. So we'll have to watch that carefully. And it turns out that wildfire in the urban wilderness interface is an additional threat to our already challenged water supply. It was something nobody ever thought about. Plastic pipes burn, they melt in a fire. And that releases benzene into the air and into the groundwater. Um, And that groundwater flows into Uh, streams and rivers, and all sorts of toxins are in the residue from burning homes, um, and all of that residue is flowing into, it gets leached through, and the water, groundwater that leaches through all of that residue is now in our rivers and streams, 
and it's creating natural parasites that can cause um, intestinal illness and are resistant to chlorine treatment. So it's something we need to keep an eye on. It was something nobody thought about prior to the Tubbs fire, and it was, in fact, a homeowner whose home did not burn who first alerted authorities to the fact there was benzene in his water. Takes a year to clean that out. So we've got to watch what the legislature does to address these critical and urgent issues. And we'll be back in coming weeks with some guests on subjects as diversified as cybersecurity and climate change. But in the meantime, if you have a comment or a topic you'd like me to cover, you can send me an email at Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or a tweet at Joyce Cordy, or one word, or at Reimagine America Radio Hour. Reimagine America is independent and nonprofit. If you enjoy our independent voice, please consider making a small donation at reimagineamerica.org. And until next week... I hope you have a wonderful first full week of 2019, and we'll keep an eye on the circus in Washington. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.